The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, open them up to Matthew chapter 5. It is good to be back with you this morning. Um, It was good to get away, but again, grateful to be back and listening to Pastor Justin Brown filling in last week for me. Uh, preached a great sermon. My favorite part of his whole sermon was that beginning part where he said such kind words about his pastor, about me. And I, I promise I didn't even bribe him. I didn't threaten him before I left. And he, he, he had those good words to share in spite of that and in spite of who I am. Uh, I am grateful for him. I truly am grateful to be able to leave and know um, there are other pastors here with a heart for you, a heart for the Lord. Um, that love you, that love the Lord, and uh, serve uh, just faithfully, day in, day out, uh, even as I'm gone, especially as I'm gone, to leave and know you're in good hands. Um, Pastor Justin, again, a great word. Um, What a great word for a young family, even like myself and kids that we have, the busyness of life. i got to clean out the garage every now and then, rearrange, uh, prioritize what needs to be prioritized. Uh, But again, grateful to be back with you to open the Word of God before us and look to Matthew chapter 5, in particular verses 13 through 16 this morning. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study through this gospel written by the Apostle Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He recording firsthand the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We, a number of weeks ago, made our way to Matthew chapter 5, where we began what is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, a a message delivered by the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, We've looked to the first uh, portion of this sermon, what we've entitled the Beatitudes, these proclamations of those who are blessed, uh, those who are living in the way God wants us to live. And I have begged you, continue to beg you to not see the teachings of Jesus, especially as recorded here in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, as a means to earn your salvation. Uh, So many people look to the life, the teaching of Jesus, and they think, if I can just be like Jesus, if I can just do what Jesus has said to do as far as being merciful, and as far as being meek, and as far as uh, hungering and thirsting after righteousness and so on, that if I can just do these things, I'm going to earn my salvation. I'm going to make myself right before God. And that is not at all what the Gospel of Matthew is pointing us to. That's not at all what the teaching of Jesus Christ leads us to. Uh, Really, first and foremost, it reveals to us, this Sermon on the Mount, that we aren't what we ought to be, that none of us measure up. We'll look at it in a few weeks, but unless our righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, we shall by no means enter the kingdom of God. Uh, that there's something broken and messed up within us that needs fixed. That we're sinners in need of redemption. And Jesus goes to a cross, goes to Calvary, gives his life a ransom for you and for me. He's crucified, buried, and raised again in order that we might be forgiven. Not that we can make ourselves right before God by doing this and doing that. No, that'll never work. Jesus dies. He sheds His blood so that we can be forgiven and saved. And now once we come to Him and of grace receive His salvation, guess what? He saves us. He births us again. We become the children of God, the image bearers of God. And and He then gives to us His Holy Spirit that that is within us. and, And He now calls us unto good works. He now has saved us in order to reflect the 
teachings and characteristics even that we're looking to in the Sermon on the Mount. And so this isn't a way to get saved. This is really a description of what we ought to be because we are saved. It's a description of kingdom citizens, of those who truly are the followers of Christ, of those who truly are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is speaking, Jesus is teaching, and and gained the the context here. The the disciples have gathered close by. He's speaking directly to the twelve disciples, but but, but just beyond them, a crowd of, of possibly even hundreds of followers of Jesus have gathered to listen to the teachings of Jesus. And so as he speaks these words, he is speaking them directly to his twelve disciples. But there is a secondary application to all who were in his hearing. Chapter 5, the Gospel of Matthew, verse 13, Jesus says to them, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Often when we are studying through a portion of Scripture, we we dive in deep to the context within the verse and the surrounding verses. That is often the pathway we go on a Sunday morning even. But this morning I want to do something a little bit differently. I want us to back up. I want us to fly high at 50,000 foot and get this, this large aerial overview of how these verses fit in the grand context of the Bible in its entirety, especially as we think to salt and to light. And then we're going to dive in and and quickly walk through the details of this passage. So first, zooming out, notice that God desires for the world to know Him. God desires for the nations would be another word there. The, The nations, the people of the U.S. of A. and the people of India and the people of Haiti and the people of South America and all the nationalities, all the peoples of the earth. God is their Creator. God loves them dearly. God has a desire that all the nations come to know who He is. And of all the ways that He could have chosen to reveal Himself to the nations, it's very peculiar, I'll admit. There's a mystery in it. I I am not God, but if I were, I could think I could think of a, a, an easier way to make myself known to the nations than what God has chosen. God has chosen to reveal Himself to the nations through His people. Through His own people that He chooses and establishes a unique and special relationship with. That, that through that relationship and through their living in response to that relationship... They would would manifest God in all of His holiness and all of His righteousness and all of His love and and kindness and gentleness and grace and and mercy that, that the world, the nations, by looking to His people, would see a reflection, would see a revelation of who God, the unseen God, of who He is, of what He is like. 
And so we go all the way back in the Old Testament to the book of Genesis, and we find that it begins with a man named Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. God calls this man. He sets him apart from all other men on planet Earth at the time, and he says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I am going to bless you greatly. I am going to make of you a great people, a great nation. Your your descendants will be more numerous than the stars of the sky and the sand on the shore. And he says... I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. I'm going to give you a land that that you will be blessed in. And And he says this, Through you will come a blessing to all the nations. That even in the very beginning of God calling Abraham, from Abraham comes the nation of Israel. All the Hebrews are are the descendants of this man. Abraham is the chosen covenant people of God. From the very beginning, God's intent in that was that through you, Abraham, through my people Israel, there will be a blessing that reaches the entirety of the world. All the the nations will be blessed through you. That even from the very beginning, God had the nations in mind, not just ethnic Israel, not just His old covenant people, Israel and the Hebrews, but but through them was a plan. Through them was a, a goal, an intent of the nations receiving a blessing. All of the law and the sacrifices, the temple, the promised land itself, all of this was given to set God's people apart from all of the the pagan peoples of this earth. That, That all the nations of the earth might look to Israel and they might see the blessing that's come upon Israel, that they might see the distinction and the uniqueness of the the living of an Israelite and come to the understanding and the realization that the God of Israel is the one true living God. I could make this point in many Old Testament passages, but I think none makes it more clearer than the words of King Solomon at the dedication of the temple. And so Solomon was used by God to to build this great temple, beautiful temple, the structure where God's people would worship the one true living God and the sacrifices would take place. And there, at the dedication of this temple, Solomon looks out over the crowd that had assembled and he speaks these words in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 55 through 61. You can turn there and just listen as I read. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 55 through 61. It says, Then he stood, and he blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the God who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us, as he was with our fathers, May he not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine which I have made supplication before the Lord be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day may require. Verse 60, here it is that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. That's what Israel was called for. That's why God established this unique relationship with with Israel and gave to them the promised land and gave to them the the temple and this, this worship of the one true living God in order that all the peoples of the earth may come to see and understand that, that the God of Israel and only the God of Israel is the one true living God. 
So Solomon concludes and he says, Let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord our God, to walk in His statutes, and to keep His commandments as at this day. We may rightly say that Israel was called to be salt and to be light, first of all. That they were called to be the salt of the earth. They were called to be the the light of God being shown to all the, the pagan nations, all the peoples around them, that all may have looked to Israel and seen the God of Israel is the one true living God. Now, if you know much about your Bibles at all, you know as Israel moves on from the dedication of the temple, it's not long at all that Israel turns their back against God. Israel turns to all sorts of pagan worship, idolatry. Uh, Within their culture, they embraced all sorts of sexual immoralities and and other immoralities. All sorts of injustices were being committed. And if you trace the the history of the people of God and the promised land, and, and there were seasons of brightness, but they were immediately followed by long, long seasons of great darkness, of great turning away from from the Lord. Israel did not live up to what God had commanded them to be, what God had established this covenant for them to be, that through them God's glory and God's holiness and God's love would be manifested to the people around them. And you and I in that moment, if we were God, would would in a way rightly say, I'm done with you. Forsake you, I'm leaving you, I'm I'm breaking my covenant with you. But God, for the sake of his covenant with Abraham, did not do that. If you've read Isaiah, if you've read a number of the prophets, what God does is he says, he promises, I will make of you what you have failed to be, Israel. There will be a promised one, a redeemer, who will bear your iniquities. There will be a servant of the Lord. You, as the servant of the Lord, have, have not been what you were supposed to be. There will be a servant of the Lord that I will raise up who will fulfill and accomplish all that I desire him to fulfill and accomplish. And we, of course, looking back upon Jesus, see it so clearly when, when Jesus is there even opening the scroll of the, the book of Isaiah, and he, he reads from the book of Isaiah, and he, he proclaims to the, the synagogue that was there, he says, today this passage has been fulfilled in your presence. Jesus in that moment was claiming, I am he, I am the one that Isaiah prophesied about, the servant of the Lord who has come to restore what, what God had called Israel to be, to be the true and better Israel, to be the 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 true and better servant of the Lord, the true servant of the Lord. Jesus comes, and He truly is the revelation of God to mankind. He truly is, as He says in John chapter 8 and verse 12, He is the light of the world. He is the, the John 1, the Word, the Logos, made flesh, made incarnate. And we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten, full of grace and full of truth, that in Him dwelt bodily the fullness of the Godhead. To see Christ, to hear Christ, is to see the Father, is to hear the Father. Jesus is the fullness of God revealed to mankind, revealed to the nations. He truly is the light of the world. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us how? By His Son. And so in Jesus, what we find is the fullness of the the revelation of who God is. And the perfect Son of God being made incarnate. 
we, we find it in Him, in this life even that we're examining, the, the light sent from God that exposes and dispels the darkness. And we see, as we will through the Gospel of Matthew, He gives His life a ransom on Calvary for our sins. He's buried and raised again. He overcomes sin, death, and the grave through that act of redemption. He dying in our place and and conquering sin, death, and the grave. Being able now to forgive our sins and, and give eternal life to whoever comes to Him. But then what happened? The 40th day after the resurrection, what happens? He ascends. He leaves this earth. He says, I'm going to give you my spirit, and it's good that I go. But that fullness of the revelation of God that all the nations could see in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ ascends to the right hand of the Father. But before He ascends, in His final words, what does He say to His disciples who gather on that hill with Him? And you shall be My witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and all the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus commissioned His followers to be His witnesses, to be His light, even as He ascends to the Father, that He would indwell them through His Spirit, and that now the the way in which God is manifesting Himself to the nations around us is through His people, through His church. Now, we won't get into all of the implications of how does Israel and the church and the, the, the Israel and the church different and Israel and the church alike and the church has now been grafted into all the covenants of Israel and we save that for Wednesday nights and so I would encourage you come Wednesday nights and we'll we'll even be talking about it this Wednesday night to some degree but suffice for this morning to say as God had had called Israel to be a reflection of his glory to the people around the world Jesus was that the fullness of that revelation, and now this side of the cross. We as believers have been grafted in, and God God is now using you and using me and all the church as, as a reflection of who He is to the nations that surround us. You say, where do you get that from? And just to give you a couple instances in the New Testament, listen to the words of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And he concludes, he says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, as people that understand This life isn't our home. We're just strangers here and sojourners, pilgrims passing through in this place. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5-11. through He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but it's Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. My goodness, is there a lot in that little phrase there. That God shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of 
of Jesus Christ. But then Paul concludes that we have this treasure in what? In jars of clay. In jars of clay. In the brokenness even of who we are. That that even in us, in jars of clay, the, the light of God can be manifest. That we don't proclaim ourselves, but we proclaim God. We proclaim Christ. And then in chapter 5 and verse 20 of 2 Corinthians, he, he, he writes it this way. He says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That Paul viewed himself as an ambassador, one from one country sent into a foreign country, representing that homeland country, to be the representative there. And for that country to make an appeal through that ambassador even. We ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, as believers, and our call that we ought to be giving verbally, yes, but even validating in our life and our living is, I beg you, be reconciled to Christ. It's mysterious. It's peculiar. It might not be the way that we do it, but God has chosen to do it so that the, the greatest way that He manifests Himself in this world to the nations that do not know Him is through the lives of His people. It's through your life and through my life that God is at work to reveal Himself to the people that are around us that do not know Him. What a heavy responsibility. What a weighty duty that we have been called to. A heavy duty that we have been called to as believers to to realize wherever God has called us to and whatever He's called us to, that this isn't just for pastors. God is at work in your life. He's given you His Holy Spirit and and He's calling you unto goodness, unto good works in your life, to the fruit of the Spirit, to the Beatitudes even that we've just looked to, in order that others might look to your life. They might look to who you are and the way that you talk and the way that you work and the way that you enjoy the pleasures of this life and the way that you respond to one another when you've been wronged or slandered and belittled, persecuted, that they might look to your life and by your living see the glory of God, this glory that God has posted, a reflection of God in your daily living. Back to verse 13. Chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew. God has saved you to be a witness for Him to those who are around you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, salt in that day and age was a lot more valuable than it is in our day and age. Although, if there were a scarcity of salt, you can only imagine just how valuable it might become once again. In that day and age, it was harder to come by. And in that day and age, there were a lot more uses for salt than we use salt even for today in some regard. And more important, prevalent uses. Uh, Salt was a, a valued commodity. Salt was actually used for the payment of soldiers in Rome in the first century. And so you may be familiar with that expression, well, he's not worth his salt. And I've always found that an odd expression. What do you mean he's not worth his salt? Well, in that day and age, they would actually pay many of the soldiers with salt. It it was used in the place of money because it was of such value and of such use. And so to say a person wasn't worth his salt or a soldier wasn't worth his salt meant he wasn't worth his pay. You, You weren't getting out of him what you should be getting out of him for what he is 
receiving. Salt in that day and age was used as a seasoning, just as it is in our day and age. It was used to make tasteless food more tasteful. Uh, but I can, I can remember when I think of salt and something even being overly salty. Uh, my mother one day was boiling some peanuts, boiled peanuts, and she had forgotten that she had already put salt in the water, and she doubled the salt amount in the water. And, and as you can imagine, when those peanuts got nice and ready to eat, and we went to go eat them, they were so overly salty. A big point of what Jesus is making here in the salt and light illustration even is that, that, that salt and light cannot go unnoticed. That they make a difference. They make an impact that, that is always noticeable, even in small amounts. You bring a small amount of light into darkness and that light stands out. That light is seen. You bring a small amount of salt into something that has not been salted and it, it makes a distinction. It makes a, a difference. There's a, a, a power even in salt and light to some degree is a way of thinking of it. And Jesus is, is hitting on that, that illustration on both of these to make that point that, that Christians are called to make a difference and not only called to make a difference, they will make a difference. There, there will be an impact and the life that they live when they live the lives that they're called to live. Salt was a seasoning. It made things taste better. The believer being present in a situation ought to make things better. Ought to make things in a way a little bit more tasteful. It should not get more bitter when the Christians show up. It shouldn't get worse because the Christians are a part of it. The Christians ought to be a blessing. The Christians ought to be salt that seasons. Even the worst situations which life brings. The more pressing and urgent use of salt in that day and age was as a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration, electricity like we have. And, and so meat, as you can imagine, would spoil quickly. Uh, they learned very early on, if you took that piece of meat and you, you covered it in salt, that, that salt would preserve the meat. It would prevent the decay of that meat and keep that meat usable for days and weeks that lie ahead. Uh, that would be a primary use that I believe Jesus had in mind as He says Christians are the salt of the earth. That, that Christians, Christians prevent the decay of society. That the more prevalent Christians are, it ought to be the more godly a culture, the more godly a society is in preventing the corruption and the wickedness and the immorality that, that can plague and take over a culture. I, I can think of what a blessing it is even to be in Keystone Heights in the, the elementary school and the high school here. Uh, that in a lot of places there is no salt left in our public school system. And, and lo and behold, what do we think when, will happen when you remove all salt and light? It gets very dark and it gets very decayed in a hurry. But as I look even around this room, I, I'm looking at many of you who are students involved in our schools. I'm looking at many of you even who are teachers and have been administrators in our school. And there, there's been a salt there that, that, thank the Lord, yes, there is stuff that by all means is bad and, and a part of the, the fallenness and depravity of our culture and our younger generation. But there's still, there's still a salt there that's prevented the decay that has crept into so many other places where there's still, a, still enough Christians that there isn't a hostility towards Christians, where there's still a godly influence through many students and through many teachers. Salt prevents decay. Uh, salt is used as a seasoning. Christians ought to make things better. Christians prevent the decaying of, of culture and society in the world today. And then he says that Christians are light. 
And he uses this illustration of a city on a hill and a light that's on a lampstand. And he says, a city on a hill can't be hidden. But if you've ever been, well, even me flying out to California this past week, when it got dark looking down at the land, it was beautiful to see the little little lights from even just a little house in the middle of a, a field with no other lights around, but that one little light was on. And even from so many thousands of miles up high, I could see that light. And then look off in the distance, and you can see the, the cities as you're going by them, these big, huge just blobs of lights that are all together. It is a beautiful sight. If you've seen it before, most of us have. Uh, light in the midst of a darkness, a, a city that is set on a hill, cannot go unnoticed. And it is there not only as a, a, a beauty before your eyes, but it's also there even as a, a form of guidance. That it's a focal point that is steadfast. And to think of the Christian who ought to be not only a, a picture of beauty before a lost and dying and decaying world, but, but a fixed point to guide one's way. And that ties into the light on a lamp, uh, on a lampstand, that, that you don't take a light in the house and, and cover it up with a basket. A, a light is put on the, the lampstand in order that it might give light to the entirety of the house. That, that through your right living, it not only gives light for your path and for you to walk, but through your right living, others are affected by it. The light from your life shines into their lives to give them sight as well. To point them to the source of light, to God Himself. I read a story of a pastor who was having a, a Saturday night worship service at his church, a special service. And right there at the end of the service, he said a big storm rolled in. Uh, lightning struck all the lights in the whole town, he thinks, went out, at least the block that they were in, uh, complete darkness, like hard to see your hand in front of your face darkness. And he, it was before cell phones, you know, in this day and age, we just pick our phones out and turn our little flashlights on. And that day, I uh, didn't have cell phones yet. He said he had to make his way in the dark to the kitchen, and he, he found some lights and candles that had been used at a prior event, like we do with our candles and carols and communion service. And they, they brought them out, and they passed them around, and they all, they all lit these candles in the midst of an electricity outage. And they, they went out to the, the front door, and they're, they're standing there with their candles lit, and they're looking out at the storm coming down, and they're wondering, debating, should I make my way out to the car or should we just sit here in the security of this building? And he said this passage hit him there in that moment, that we are as believers the light of the world. And the thought hit him of, 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 of do, we, do we venture out into the storm of this world around us to bring the light to them that they so dearly need? Or do we just stay cooped up in the security of our building? many believers have a great Christian faith when they're here. A great Christian faith when they're serving in Sunday school or serving in, in Iguana or whatever ministry it is for you. But what about when you're out there? What about when you're at work? What about when you're going to check the mail and your neighbor says hello? Or your neighbor says, why'd you let your leaf blow on my lawn? <laughs> are you light? You are is, are you putting a bushel of basket over that light? Or are you letting it shine? Concluding exhortation, we'll close with this, verse 16. Because you are the salt of the earth, because you are the light of the world, Jesus concludes, let your light so shine before men. So shine bright 
Let your light shine, whether you're teaching at a school or doing construction or mowing a lawn or going to college or whatever it is, whatever stage of life God has called you to, whether you're there with your grandchildren or your children or whether you're there with a, a sports team or whether you're there with your co-workers, whatever the situation that God is, is calling you to, that God, hear me and understand this, that God has put you in. He's put you there for a reason. And He's called you, not just me as a pastor, He's called you as a believer to be salt and to be light. And He says here, let your light shine. That people ought to be able to look at your life and by the the goodness of your life, give glory to God who is in heaven, to your Father who is in heaven. They ought not to look at your life and my life and say, man, you know that guy's a preacher? Can you believe that? You know, that person actually goes to church and claims to be a Christian. Have you heard the way they talk? Have you heard what they're doing? X, Y, Z, LMOP. Go on and on and on with the way the world talks about believers often. And unfortunately, there's a lot of truth in it. The world ought to be able to look at your life and my life as a believer and not see somebody frantically trying to earn their salvation as if it all depended on us. See somebody resting in the salvation Jesus has accomplished for us. See somebody with a faith and a peace that passes all understanding, a strength in the midst of no matter what's coming because of who we know, because of Christ, because of what He's done for us on that cross and His burial, death, burial, and resurrection. And they ought to be able to look at us and see good works. They ought to be able to look at your life and see righteousness. See, there's something different about you. There's something different about the things you do, the way you don't do these things, but you do these other things. The way that you, again, respond when people wrong you, when people hurt you. The way you work with all your heart as unto the Lord and not unto men. They look and they see that distinction. And in that distinction, they find a a reflection of God, a, a, a manifestation of God. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. I don't know if they sing it in children's church anymore. Some of you have probably been singing it in your head this entire sermon since we read this passage. Oh, there's one of you. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You heard that one? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Won't let Satan... This is what we did as a kid. We didn't say blow. We went... Don't let Satan get out. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan get out. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Jesus says to His disciples, Jesus says to us, His believers this morning, You are the salt of the earth. Salt has lost its flavor. How shall it be seasoned? It has been good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You, you believer, are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to the whole house, all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
Heavenly Father, we come to You and we thank You that You have given to us light. That You shone in our hearts the light of Your glory and the knowledge of Your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That so many in here have come to a place of seeing Him for who He is, as Lord and as Savior. The One who died on the cross for our sins was buried and raised again. And Lord, so many have turned to Him and believed upon Him and made Him King of their life. Lord, You've been given such a great light. It truly is in vessels of clay. Lord, help us as we go, not only as we gather as we have, but as we go from this place. Help us in all the places You will lead us this week to be salt and to be light, to let our light shine before men, that we may show them who You are by our living. Lord, we may tell them how to get to You by giving the Gospel of Jesus Christ and His gift to us. Lord, if there be any here that don't know You as Lord and Savior, I pray even now in this invitation they would come, they would turn to You, they would repent and believe upon Christ, Lord and Savior of their life this day. Work, I pray, in this invitation. We ask it.